0: Depends on how long it takes her to heal after the kind of a pesiotomy she had, and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, and it's very different with other girls too. I had a girl in my office the other day that the doctor had said from the seventh month on. I mean, from the she'd been pregnant three months, and he said, "Don't don't do it anymore." That's they can stimulate each other various ways, so you don't have to you don't have to masturbate in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is. What one pastor said was, well, it's not the best. In other words, all those guys know the power we're dealing with here. And that in the long run, there come times when it's just impossible to keep that uh, force from releasing itself. Just, just impossible and that's why i said it would probably be the lesser evil and whether it has to be an evil i don't even know in in those situations i think i think that if we could just control it guys now i'm talking about control it so that it isn't habitual so that it, that our imaginations are not day say every second day pouring up before us some scene that is requiring orgasm to let off the steam if we could avoid that then we wouldn't need to worry too much about these Periodic now and then explosions that have to be let off. I hope I'm not saying something too loose there.
1: But the talk is saying that we that we have to. Then it's then it's considered a have to sin. <laughs> do we have a choice? Do we have a choice to to that to not abstain? Yeah, I, should, I
0: can't talk about a have to sin because Paul said it. That there's no temptation given. No
1: okay, so right. what if we want what what if we want to stop maybe,
0: You can't. Forever. You
1: can't. So
0: how do we do that? Alright, we can, let's see. Next question. How shall a single person handle his sexual or her sexual desires? I got six things written down. What do you do with them? That follows naturally on if you don't want to masturbate and you don't want to do that and you shouldn't, then what do you do? <laughs> Number one, recognize your sexual <coughs> desires as natural and good and only to be satisfied according to God's word. Don't condemn yourselves for having the desire. That's one of the main things we should get across. God made us this way, and what we're trying to figure out is why he did and how he, made, how he wants us to handle. Second, avoid stimulating them. Now, in our day, that are out. Some TV, maybe most, I don't have a TV so I don't know, is out. Now, when I say they're out, like most magazines are out, say Time Magazine. What do you do with Time Magazine? Time Magazine, all the news magazines plan to have a sexy picture at a certain, at a certain place. They all plan it. They know exactly what they're doing. You, and you can turn to the movie section, the theater section, or the drama section, you, and that's where you find them, usually. And then the advertising, of course. Um, they all they all know that they, can, they need a little bit of porno in there so they can sell more to the teenagers and, and uh, the, the spooky, I mean, the, the prud, prudish guys who won't buy playboy.
2: <coughs>
0: so what do you do with Time Magazine and, and, and other good magazines that you need to keep up on with the news? Well... I think it, once you learn the tactics of the magazine, you can, you can handle that probably. You can simply skip it. If you see it, you turn the page. Now, that is hard because for, for, for a Christian uh, who won't go into the drugstore and buy uh, one of the five big porno magazines, he usually is looking for pictures in other places. His, his, his body is looking for it. And therefore, he has to... Vi- will in his head, I will not stop to meditate on that picture and let it stimulate me. And I think the same would probably hold true with the girls with certain kinds of pictures of guys. So, uh, while you can't probably totally avoid TV and you can't totally avoid magazines and, and their <coughs> none of these things, uh, movies, would I say, totally avoid... Know them well enough and know yourself well enough how to avoid the, the pauses and the ponderings on them. Here's an example. to come out. Yeah. When, this is my third point. When stimulation comes, consciously take that desire and transfer it to Christ and make him your desire. I, I only learned to do that after I got married. I get, I got that from 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 where it says, desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word that you may live thereby. It's a command to desire Christ. Here's an example of why, the way I do it. Riding down 280, mmm, by Luther Seminary there, Como Avenue, and there up to the right is, touch black velvet. Now she's totally clothed. That's one of the sexiest pictures in the city. Right? She's sitting there with her leg up like this, and I say, touch black velvet. Whoa, well, what? what they're saying to do. Take your hand and rub it right down her leg. That's what they want you to do with your mind. Touch black velvet. It's a liquor advertisement. You've all seen all this, I think. And it's a girl with this black pantsuit on from here to the bottom of her toe. And uh, it's the sexiest advertising picture on, on the Negley signs. What do I do now? See, I'm riding down there. I see that. and 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 somebody is asking me to touch that girl. Well, the desire comes to touch that girl. And so I say to myself, I ain't going to touch that girl. Jesus, the desire that I feel, this little desire, I don't have much anymore. I've, I've done this so often. It's almost second nature because those signs are everywhere. Uh, Jesus, the desire I feel right now, I give to you. I want you more than I want that. And, and what I'm feeling welling up in me now, I direct to you. And then I pray. I talk to Jesus. I have a little conversation. She's gone now. And it has never failed to work that he he takes that thought away from me. At least with that sign. It has never failed to work. He saves me from that. And I can do that on more and more things now where I consciously say no to a burgeoning desire and transfer it. You see, if you don't transfer it, you'll fail. An empty mind will be filled with sex. You've got to fill it with something else. It's like the demons. You take one demon away, if you leave that room empty, swept and clean, seven more sexy demons will come back. You've got to fill that room up with good things. Set your mind on things that are above. Good things. So I just talk about the Lord and I think about the cross especially. It's hard to have a sexy feeling when you think about a bleeding Savior on the cross. The cross has saved me from lots of sexual fantasies. So that's the third thing. Consciously... Direct your desire towards Christ. I
2: have
1: a question. Yeah. Um, so. When you're driving down 280 and say just feeling kind of about life, should you intentionally look at that picture, so you can get the desire to shift to Christ.
2: And... <laughs> <laughs> I've never. Come <laughs> on i got to get that red ready. Oh, <laughs> Too risky.
0: Too risky for me. Too risky for me. But that I, I do that sort of thing with other things. I use poetry that way. I have, I have sat down and read uh lines composed above Tinder and Abbey to to get me ready for Sunday. It's not it's not a religious poem. But it is so powerfully, uh, emotionally moving that it, 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 it awakens me. But I can't, I'm, I am too sinful to use, to use, uh, sex that way. Yes. Yeah. I
3: remember when you were saying about, when you were about pain, I said, we have a new Yes. Because that's what they, it wouldn't be like that if are only asked to get to something. Exactly. There's lots of
0: other ways to do it that are safer. And nature, nature is God's great gift to awaken our hearts, isn't it? If you're feeling blah, take a walk out on the lake at sunset or sunrise. That's, that's God's gift to a blase heart. Not, don't take the world's or the, Satan would just laugh his head off if I were to try that.
2: Ha ha, God, my
0: Fourth, I already said that. Pray for God to divert our attention. So the third one was, consciously direct your stimulation your your desire towards Christ. Then, fourth, pray that God will divert your attention. Fifth, get busy with some task. Leisure is a great sexual stimulator. Boy, I can look back on my teenage days and the, the Saturdays and the Sundays when mom and dad were gone away from home. Those were the bad days when I could do whatever I pleased. I had all the leisure in the world and no hindrances, whatever, nothing to do. Then my imagination was uncontrollable. But when I had homework to do, good program to watch on TV, a basketball game to go to at night, something to keep my mind and my body busy, then it wasn't as great a problem. Le- watch out for overmuch loafing around and leisure and empty-headedness. Well, how do you
1: relax that? I mean, if there are, can you go into a basketball game and be relaxed?
0: Yeah, right. Because you can't grind all the time. No, but, but I think... To, to grind hard enough so that when you fall into bed, you fall asleep is, is better than to be peddling around all day so that when you fall into bed, you can't fall asleep and then what happens? Well then your mind is just going and... That's what I hand up there. Is there a problem with overindulging you don't
1: leave yourself open the Yes.
0: If I were lecturing on something else, I'd probably make a big case for why you should take more leisure to to take walks. Yes, we've got to have leisure or our spirits will dry up. If you're you're so busy that you never take a walk or just rest, but then I've given part of the answer, haven't I? There's a way to sit around and do nothing, and there's a way to let God's good gifts fill our leisure. Take a walk in nature. I, I never... I'm, I very seldom had a problem with sexual imaginations taking a walk in, uh, the woods. Even though some people, I suppose, might associate the woods with a grotto and a, and a fairy and, you know, just nifty, nifty scenes. But for me, nature and sunshine and clouds and trees and pine needles, uh, they're not sexy to me. They're, they're so uplifting and purifying and, and, uh, they make me think of the Narnia books, and C.S. Lewis, and Further Up, and Further In, and Heaven, and God, and Relationships. So, uh, if, if they're that way for you, then then you can then you can use those for your leisure.
1: Mm-hmm. The C.S. Lewis write on and...
0: Sex, The Four Loves, has a whole chapter on Venus, which is really good. Four Loves? Yeah, he's got a book called The Four Loves. You all should read The Four Loves. Mm-hmm. Terrific. One of them is Sex Eros. Storge, eros, philos, and agape are the four Greek words for love that he talks about. And eros is sex. That's where you'll find what Lewis has to say about sex. Last six. Resolve to be pure. 100% gods. And read great literature of devotion and biography. Find the things that stimulate your devotion to God. I was just telling Noel last night as we were... I was running my radio up and down on the way up here, on those 60 miles, on 35, but trying to find something to listen to, to keep me awake. And uh, and I hit one song, I played one old song from 1968 that I remember, what was that? And I listened to it, it was kind of nostalgic. That's when we were going together. And uh, then I turned it off and I said, you know, I, 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 th- I really changed in the way that I make decisions about what to fill my mind with. When I was a teenager, I used to struggle to ask, what's wrong with rock music and that sort of thing? What's wrong with it? Why shouldn't I listen to it? I don't even ask that question to myself anymore. I ask the question, will it make me love God more? That's that's the only question I care about. Does it make me get aflame with the Holy Spirit? Does it make my devotion go deeper? And my affections rise higher. And the question of right and wrong to me—that is, rules and it's wrong for this and this, and this reason—I don't even get to that. I usually knock it off earlier because most of the music on the radio worldlyizes me, the word, secularizes me, deadens me to the highest and most beautiful things, and I don't want that. So my sixth thing is try to become the kind of person who wants to be God's one. Then lots of the questions of is this exact thing right or is that exact thing right and wrong won't be nearly as much nearly as important as will doing that draw me nearer to the heart of God. That's the only thing you'll care about. Care about. I had two more questions. How attractive should we want to be or how should we want to be attractive and then homosexuality. We'll just take these real briefly so you can have a break. Here's what I think about dress and and attractiveness. Girls and guys should not dress so as to stimulate sexual desire. When that happens at a distance, it only creates problems. And that means you're going to have to really buck the system because I think the style that the world prescribes is designed for sexual attraction. Girls and guys should not dress so as to stimulate sexual desire. Of a quick question relates
1: to that, like, a earlier this year and a bunch of stuff on um, people wanting to follow the fascists, and the fascists, of course, are geared towards the world, and so there's all kinds of, um, stimulating
2: Different
1: parts of the grass and stuff like that. So, that's not good. But it it, it just seems that, you know, at at Balfour Christian School, the attitudes
0: of a lot of people to... Lots of girls are insensitive to this. Now, maybe lots of guys are, too, and I don't know it because they don't turn me on in the least. But, uh, but lots of girls are. And I went to, I went to Bear Trap Ranch. Um, when was that? Summer 68? No, no, 78. Uh, and they divided the guys and the girls up. These were college students from secular campuses. They divided them up and sat the girls on this side facing the guys and the guys on this side facing the girls. And they said, now... Tell each other what bugs you sexually about each other. This was really
2: interesting. <laughs>
0: and uh, one of those guys stood up and said, "I cannot take it. The shorts you girls are wearing here this summer. Now that was back in the short-short period, uh, when, when and, and around Bethel. That that the not only the track shorts, not only were they short, but then the split up the side. I just cannot believe that Christian girls around Bethel would do that to the guys." Don't you know, whether it's you or not, don't
3: they know what they're doing?
0: Good night. A bikini is not as sexy as a pair of loose shorts. You girl, I don't know if you girls know this, but exposure is not as sexy as almost exposure. You 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 know that now, if you didn't know it before.
2: <laughs>
0: exposure is not as sexy as almost exposure, which is why I cannot understand on... What's going on with the buttons in our day? Why the second button is unbuttoned? What's the reason for that? On girls' blouses. and I suppose guys' shirts, too. What? I can think of no reason. It, it, to me, I want to walk up to every girl and a button there. And now I've learned, oh, they need it to be that way. I, can't, I don't know what's going on. Well, I do know what's going on. Mademoiselle the journal seventeen have the <coughs> have them dressed that way, that's all. Right? Well, where else nobody just up and decided I'll leave my second button unbuttoned this morning, so it kinda kinda hangs open a little bit. So if you're standing right here, you can see right in. Those are the kinds of things Christian girls ought to think about. So they don't make it hard for the guys. Do you want a guy to be thinking about what color your bra is? Or do you want him to look at your face? See your eyes? Think about you as a person. I mean, girls are up in arms today that they've been made sex objects, but half of them have their blouses unbuttoned. So,
3: (laughs) (laughs) you
1: better
2: realize that even...
1: If I, to the girl, if I asked, if I asked you to button your button, how would you react? Someone, someone tell me.
3: <laughs>
0: no, I want to hear it, I want to hear some serious answers. No, because I know you, I, I
3: call oh, that out. Just because I know that you're direct and me, you could say you, you wouldn't mind saying that to me, I'd go, fine, I probably wouldn't think about it. I'd respect you, it me because most guys wouldn't say that. That's someone did say that, it's true if someone came up to me and said, Say, it, baby, unbutton
2: your second button and say, Go and jump in the lake, or I slap them. I know, that's the saying If someone came up to me and said, do you unbutton
0: your blouse." <laughs> oh, button <flatten> it up. <laughs> yeah, you
2: know me. Your point is, your point is even better.
0: You, j- everybody's doing it free, and you knock your block off, and they
3: ask
2: you to
3: do it. <laughs> You know, who
1: run around that way and you start to think that If some guy came up to you and asked you if he would do it, and you start to think about the motives behind why he's asking you to do that, you
2: wouldn't
1: unbutton your button. And that's all that's all the more reason to keep it
0: buttoned
2: in the first place. Right. And not even and not have to and
0: make the guy ask if he wants (laughs) to And that's just one example. There's one. I got lots of others I can talk about, but I won't. You got the idea. One of the principles of of dressing is don't dress so as to create sexual diversion from your person. Dress. Here's my next one. Clothing should reflect our tastes in color and style, and our convictions about neatness and cleanliness and thrift. And as many other things as we can symbolize with our clothes. Make your clothing a statement about you. If, if, if lots of guys and girls thought that their clothing was an outward, symbolical statement, they'd dress differently, probably. Or that? Yeah. yeah. They don't realize what they're saying. They, they're they consciously making a statement, but it is making a statement. Very carelessly making a statement. So, there, there are some girls who dress I have in my mind girls from my background and from Bethel I remember who didn 't dress expensively or, or inordinately. they were just always so neat and they were clean and their colors were right, and things seemed to go together and they they were poised and and I, and I thought about them as persons I just liked them as persons. It said so much about them as persons, and there were others who that just couldn 't seem to dress any other way but sleazy. And I wonder, do they really mean it? I don't think she means to say that about herself. Not really. Her mother just didn't teach her right, I guess. Somebody needs to teach her what she's saying. And and guys, too. <laughs> well, our, <laughs> yeah. Girls,
1: are tuxedo-sexy. tuxedos sexy? Tuxedos. <laughs> I've heard, okay. Like a really nice dress, okay, like for
0: bands,
1: uh-huh. you know, and we have to we have to wear tuxedos. And girls come up and, and to, to guys say, "Hey, you really look sharp tonight." And what do they mean? Do they mean it looks sexy, or or do they mean you look uh, presentable in a formal way, or what? You know.
2: Well,
0: let, let let me stand back just a minute, and because since I I have no idea about what problems guys are creating for girls, you say something about what you would want to say to a guy. If, What would you be saying if you were here telling guys how they could help girls by their dress or not cause problems for girls? I
3: think guys have the same problems
2: with athletics for what girls do. Baby. I don't even know what that is, but I... You can fit it in a symbol.
0: I see. Okay.
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) I didn't know.
0: (laughs) What else? I mean, those are pretty... There's no pool at
3: Baffle
2: Yeah, When there's a pool, there really be a problem. Well, guys,
3: walk around with their shirt unbuttoned, and in, I mean, I know it's different. It's different in a way, but sometimes it depends on what kind of a woman you are and what it is that it does excite you. Yeah. And it works the same way. Sometimes there's a careless <coughs> girl walks around in a stinky little dress because they're used to it. Um, I'm sure that some girls, when they when they come into a room, if, if you were watching the mirror once again, there was no shirt unbuttoned.
2: Oops,
3: and here you could, we've just seen it, I I, but depending on the way a guy wears his clothes and the kind of attitude he has about himself as he wears those clothes, does he does he walk around with an attitude that looks like I'm wearing really his clothes and showing up himself. Yeah.
2: The... If,
3: with a different kind of body build, of course we... it's going to make a difference. Sure.
1: But
3: <laughs> I guess it's just modesty and clothing that is such a whole difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's been okay. It's been. I don't know if other guys have, have had the same <coughs> thing, but a few people have said, "Well, I carry myself well, and that, and, and I look, like, I'm confident, stuff like that." Now, Jennifer, does that appear, or anyone who knows me, does that appear wrong? Am I carrying myself like? Am I hurting myself physically?
0: Too macho. Too much. Or,
1: uh, yeah.
2: Too macho. I'm, I'm asking. That. I don't know. I'm putting
0: that word in your mouth. Is a question. You don't come across to me that way, I mean.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So much that I was innocent in a class. You know, innocent,
1: that's a good thing. Even if
0: it's I like to look innocent. Uh... Well anyway, can
1: someone answer?
2: I think it's kind of fun to watch what (laughs) I (laughs) hear. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm
2: getting hot and bothering me your second button is on Becky <laughs> 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 do you want to explain yourself <laughs> I think mean it's different that. when a guy's is looking at a
0: girl's yeah. dress sexy and when I
2: look
3: at a guy that looks in a I don't I don't start thinking. I just like this. Um like it. I don't
0: know. And that can be true with girls too, I think. I mean from guys to girls if within within certain parameters their dress can can signify all kinds of things that don't have to be.
3: Sex, sex I think it's just very true with body types. The female body is such a different thing and means such a different thing to a man than the male body means to a woman. Um because of society and the fact that female pornography, I mean, pornography for female is not something that many girls have run into in here, but I bet sure most of the guys have run into pornography but the other way. It's not something in society that's ever been accepted. Maybe people do it, but it's not something that they write statistics up about or anything. And because they're interested in that way, women have a different kind of a problem you know, than just looking at a guy in a way he's dress. Sure, a pair of really tight pants on a guy that looks like he's not wearing anything. Well, you know, that's going to be a visual startling thing mm-hmm. to someone because it's not something that we've been used to as women. The, the, the tight pants that are going around these days are, are really new for me, and it does bother me. I yeah. mean, I feel almost embarrassed to do
2: yeah.
3: that. But it's, you know, that's about one of the only things possibly bother me
0: because of another adult. Mm-hmm. 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 So it seems like it's more sensible in a manner of stimulation it's as making using on the Yeah. yeah. Really Depending on the girl. Yeah. I mean I yeah. I I I'm of it when it comes to talking about the way girls respond, but uh yeah. Most girls are not triggered. They don't have a hair trigger. A guy has a hair trigger so that a visual stimulation him can make him ready for sex in in an instant. Girls don't have hair triggers, but they can but, over time.
3: But those, but those
0: things that are visually uh, that catch your eye keep you from talking to a guy in the person because you <coughs> you your eye
3: gets caught. Yeah. yeah right. 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 Now, I saw hand over here. Anybody want to? Okay. Well, i just like to say I've had a little thing kind of
1: ironed there's a very fine line between beauty and sex, and uh, to put a line, not a line, in life, that yeah. never else. You know, in art, and
3: you
0: know, some of the greatest art from what well, she's painting is nude. Yeah. And as it's not the same. Yeah. The word nude is not the same as the word naked to the artist. But na- she's nude. She's not naked.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, I'm not a good artist in that That's regard.
3: So you're
2: not, you're not at all. It's, it's
0: not... I remember reading a- My Name is Asher Lev. Remember that book? That was a sexy book for me. Now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been at all for an artist. It would not have been a sexy book for an artist. because.
3: Was
2: it a sexy book? Okay. All right.
0: My Name is Asher Lev, where this Jewish guy becomes an artist and he, he has to paint this nude and this nude girl walks in. That scene for me was was Very
2: hard
3: to say. I think I where i
0: That's right, that's right. Sure.
2: You
3: know, I, was <laughs> I was
2: to that
3: yeah. <laughs> A lot of
2: times, figure out of
0: yeah. Well, you your transformation into a full artist happened after your high school experience, so that if you were to read that book now, it'd have a different impact on you than than it did then. One other thing uh, about clothing and dress um, we should not we should want to be known for how we act and are, not for how we appear on the outside. Dress. So as not, so as not, That's going to make you laugh if I say it that way. Um. Dress so, so, such that your clothes are not seen. Do <laughs> you see what I mean? Dress such that your clothes are not seen. It w- I would just love it if the people's first impression when they saw me was my eyes. Probably because my eyes say more about me than anything. They'll, they'll show when I'm a little bit embarrassed, dart them away, you know. Or they'll show when I'm happy because they'll get a little glistened. Or they'll show when I'm sad because they're curled down on the end. But my clothes says nothing unless I've consciously made a statement. So, I think it's just a good rule of thumb. Dress so as your clo- such that your clothes aren't seen. Now, that'll mean you have to dress appropriately. If you've got a band, you've got to wear a tux. You go into a ball, you wear a long, nice dress. If you're going swimming, you wear a bathing suit, not a <laughs> suit. <laughs> uh, you dress appropriately such that it fits the occasion and, and people don't bolt at it. Um, make a statement about your values with your clothes. That's all I, I, I have to say about clothing. Yes, Sam? I'm a big uh I'm
1: looking. I'm looking you I be saying, and I think it's good to dress good when so you look good. Be good about yourself in a way that you're not approving anything. And you're looking I mean, appropriate is
0: something good. And uh, there's nothing good. Dressing appropriately. Well, that's what so I want. Is money having the United States on or nice United States or
2: whatever?
1: I think this is, I like this
0: see that.
1: I think mean, that's good. I I mean after all God
0: is beauty. God likes you. I like I, I like to say simple beauty. There is luxurious beauty and there is simple beauty. And I mean you, you may you may have different tastes than I do in that regard, but I I loathe exorbitance in dress. I think you can dress uh simply and be very the word attractive is funny. We usually use it when we don't mean it. Attractive means you attract attention. I know, so uh, very appropriate. I like the word appropriate. And then cross their legs. I, I just, I'm i sitting there at my desk and saying, Good. And she wants me to talk seriously about this problem she has. And all I can see is her body. Not because of what she's wearing, but because of what she's doing with it. Lying in that chair in front of me. Did
3: yeah. it have half down the black, other people like i I heard one that to be more what do you think about it seems
2: like
0: it's calling more attention to Yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I have been very tempted, Noel will tell you, at stages in my life to say I only want one color of pants, one kind of coat, only black socks, and only one color shirt, so that nobody knows when I change, when one goes to the laundry and one doesn't, and uh, I think I kind of got hung up on that at certain points, and I think we can, so that clothes become such a thing that in order to not attract any attention, you make such a thing out of the clothes that they are the attention grabber. I think we can strike a balance. I'll tell you where where I am halfway. I, I still have most of the clothes from way back and I haven't bought any 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 pants or sport coat in a long time. This velour shirt I have had from high school if you can believe that. <laughs> I was going to mention that suit. I wear, I, I very consciously wear the same suit every Sunday. I've worn it every Sunday for seven months, and I will until it falls off my back, and that's a, that's a, I mean until it becomes too afraid that it's ugly, it's drawing attention to itself. But I very consciously am doing that, and and but it's no longer a thing with me. I don't think about it. Oh, this Sunday, which suit? Oh, I'll wear that same old suit. Uh, I'm I'm doing it to make a statement because. I was attracted very much to John Holke who, who preached at Olivet because he was the first time I'd ever been to a church where the pastor wore the same suit three Sundays in a row. Most, I grew up in churches and have been around pastors who have closets filled with suits. And they buy new one every season change. And they wear different colored belts, big, fat, white on or different colored vests and this. And I had just vowed, I'm going to just be one color and one suit in that pulpit as long as I can so that people won't think, well, he's wearing this suit this Sunday to say this and this suit this Sunday to say this. this." It's just a dark, plain suit and that's all I want to say just so people can forget about it, I hope. So, yeah, I I think uh, if I were to do that every area of my life, like this guy did at Bethel with that black thing, I always wondered what in the world was going on. He tracked it very much attention in terms of homosexuality. My guess is that in a room like this there are people who have homosexual inclinations at least if not uh, are homosexuals and my I, I have three three pieces of statement I think that homosexual desires are wrong to have and homosexual relations are wrong to pursue now Statement number one: Don't deny them if they're there. Own up to them. No sense in trying to sweep them under the rug. You've got to admit that that's where you are, and not try to convince yourself you have heterosexual desires. Second, I think you should admit their abnormality. That's not what our society is saying. The gay movement would have you say that they are equally good to heterosexual desires. But biblically, I can't. Make it stand. Admit their abnormality, their wrongness. They're, they're in the same category with people who want to have sex with animals. Which the Old Testament condemned right along with homosexuality. Most people would admit that that's wrong. It's unnatural. Against nature. And then third, pray for health. Both health spiritually, for transformation, but also that God would bring you help from outside, and that would lead to the fourth thing. Seek counsel from somebody who's had experience in helping people in this regard. And there are good Christian homosexual counseling centers in the Twin Cities. And if anybody wanted to seek me out privately back at church, I'd be happy to put you in touch with somebody who has more experience than I. I have, I have not had much experience in counseling with homosexuals, but I went to a breakfast meeting, for example... A few weeks ago that the South Area pastors had, and a young fella came who was a homosexual and told about his ministry in, in Minneapolis on Hennepin Avenue and other places where they try to minister to these guys mainly, although there's a girl on the staff too who ministers with with girls, and how they try to love them, help them, discover what their problem is, and then through a series of therapy, change them. And he himself talked about how he had discovered his homosexual tendencies early on, that he was an acknowledged homosexual, shacked up with a guy for a long time, and then was converted to Christianity, and only through a very long period of time, now is planning to actually get married to a girl next, uh, it was this spring now. And he's got this piece of paper, I can let you read it. His his life, as uh, brief. Survey his life story, and now he's becoming a minister to homosexuals. There's an article in the most recent Christianity Today entitled, Homosexuals Can Change. So I don't think that we should view it as an unchangeable life situation, but that through therapy there can be change. And that's all I think I'd want to say now, unless you want to raise questions. That sounds like they made a mistake. In In other words, while I said I think It is wrong to have those inclinations. A person who feels that way, that he's he's agreeing with God that there are wrong inclinations in his body and that he wants to change is pretty much in the same category with the rest of us who have sinful inclinations in other regards, greed or selfishness or pride. And (laughs) we took all the greedy and selfish and proud people out and went to our school classes We didn't have anybody left. Now, so that if he had come to me, I would have had to judge whether or not he
1: was so in the
0: grip of this that he was bound to harm these kids. If he was not, if he was really struggling against it, then I wouldn't have put him in a
1: special category by myself to try to work with him, or well, if it was a her, know, um, uh,
0: so that they could uh, gradually change. I think that the church ought not to do out homosexuals practicing homosexuals, that is, who say, I'm not sinning, are people who are in the same category with those who are committing adultery, and won't
2: admit it. Okay?
0: I mean, won't admit it's wrong. It's okay for me to do this. Then the church needs to exercise discipline. Okay? There's a
1: person that come to Bethel in last four or five years. Uh, he came this year for education in a Jewish society. who he was an ex-gay Christian now. Mm-hmm. and uh, is in the ministry uh, for helping gay people. And the two things that impressed me most about him was that, one, the sin is, okay, he acknowledged he it as a sin, but him himself was not an, an abomination to God. Him himself. The act may have been, the act was, it was a sin. But many times the Christian came up to him and, and called him personally an abomination an abomination to God. No more, I mean, he's no more than, say, we are. The act was, because it's, I guess it specifically says the act is an abomination. Before he was converted, you mean, it's people were saying that Before he was converted. That. converted, converted and uh, basically, that the sin is no different than any other sin. But also, that uh, uh, homosexual tendencies are not necessarily the root of the problem. They, they are more often than not a system of something. Mm-hmm. And not mm. not uh, specifically you just can't say, Well, <clears throat> I'm homosexual and that's my problem and then work on not being homosexual. Many times you have to mm. go in and, and look at yourself, analyze where you come from yeah. and trick sense in your life that may have let you to believe you were, deal with those and no purpose but happened And then, the mayor yeah. and and I feel how I'm him.
0: sure good counselors would take that route. You've got to find the roots. Is there another hand? Maybe we should cut it off here, Tom, so these people can rest. They've been really patient. I mean, rest by <laughs> running around <and laughs> doing whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'll start with some questions that have come. Holy Spirit is and ask for him to come now in his fullness to us and grant us wisdom and grant us to love you and to have affections that are strong and directed towards your glory. Lord, I feel so much that if each of these people here loved you 100%, that 90% of the sexual problems would be taken care of within that love. Help us, I pray, therefore, to bank our hope fully on Jesus Christ who died for us. Accept his forgiveness for all the past sins of our lives and to look to him for guidance for the future and for hope for eternity. And so enjoy his fellowship and his power in our Lives. In Jesus' name I pray.
2: Amen. Two
0: of them almost ask the same thing. One says, if a couple has been physically intimate, is it best for them to get married? Exodus 22 says, if a man lies with a virgin, he should marry her. And another one that's similar says, if a person has had sexual intercourse outside bonds of bonds marriage and has a choice to marry or not marry, should they for just that reason. In other words, does God view their flesh as married? Let me read that passage from Exodus just so you can see the whole thing. It says in Exodus 22:16, If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the marriage present for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equivalent to the marriage present for virgins. So, it's not so simple as as it must fo- marriage must follow upon sexual intercourse. You've got a father here who says, no way will that man have my daughter. And then the Bible makes a provision for what he should do to make restitution, namely pay the appropriate <clears throat> sum of money. So, My answer to the question would be, no, it should not be assumed that if you have had sexual intercourse with somebody outside marriage that for that reason you should marry them. I think there should be better reasons than that. And I have counseled at least one couple not to marry who have uh, been involved in that way because the the prerequisites for a lifetime of, of marriage are not there. And I was just talking with Noel, and, and I think we agreed that one sin, you ought not let one sin be the means to wreck the rest of your life if this marriage is doomed for failure because of uh, incompatibility in many other ways. Better to deal with that sin for itself, let it go behind you, and uh, then move on from there. When Paul counseled the people in Corinth in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians not to go to a prostitute, because in becoming a, in, in going and lying with a prostitute, you become one body with her. I don't think he was inferring that therefore you should marry the prostitute that you lie with. I think he would have said that if he did. I have a
3: couple of things I've to do about. I honestly can't say what to tell you. I'm writing to a who does the mm-hmm. and
2: they have
3: And And right now they're struggling very much because they're overwhelmed with intense who are they didn't the feel <coughs> how before. <laughs> how do you convince Or how would one go about them but can do How do go about telling You
2: about how the a and what they did before they
0: were you can do that as effectively as I can. I'm sure, with the biblical, you use the Scripture. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You lay out the promises to them. He died the just for the unjust to bring to God. Our sins were nailed to the tree. Take all, Collect all those wonderful promises of why Christ died and spell it out. The real problem is not making it clear to them, but the psychological stumbling blocks that lie in the way of accepting forgiveness. And that only comes through prayer and, and the Holy Spirit. So you just pray for them and and then try to demonstrate your God's own acceptance through yours. Okay. The two other questions that I have that were handed in. One, would the desire you get when you when looking at uh, Miss Black Velvet be holy or unholy? That is sinful or unsinful. My question is that if you turn this desire towards the Holy Christ, is it a sinful desire turned towards Him? That is. Uh, Is there a process to turn this desire from a sinful to a holy desire? Or are you saying that this desire, uh, isolated, until acted upon, is not sinful yet? Um, It might be that I catch it one time before it's sinful, and and I have to wait, and, and sometimes it's already sinful. In other words... I don't think there's anything sinful about uh the sexual desire that begins to rise when stimulus comes. But very quickly, and who knows where that line is, it can pass over into a very fleshly indulgence. So I think I, think I can catch it sometimes, especially now that I'm uh prone and trained to do it. Usually catch it before I have to feel any guilt for it at all and just turn it right towards Christ. If I'm especially weak that day or especially already prone towards some kind of sexual fantasy, then it might be that it gets away from me and I don't catch it until too late and I have to say I'm sorry to God that I went that far with it. So I think the answer to that one is sometimes it's simple and sometimes it's not. And the last one is how can you learn desire for your fiancé or spouse if you feel that something has altered your desire for sex, say a bad experience, etc. I take this to be a, a situation in which it might be either that you once felt desire but now have lost it because of some bad experience, or in marriage you never felt it. First thing that Noel and I, Noel mentioned when she read this was step number one: would do you make sure to talk about this? in the marriage, so that if one party were feeling no desire for this act, in fact, feeling maybe revulsion towards it, and yet trying to keep that from the spouse, though no, that would just be terrible, because the, you'd pick that up in a hurry if you were the other person you'd know. So, step number one is to talk about it, and to together, sympathetically, try to find out the root the reason for this? What was this bad experience? Can we talk it? And maybe there's sin that needs to be repented of. Maybe there's acceptance that needs to be felt by the party that that is looking back with dismay. And that might be, that would be a definite stepping stone on the <coughs> route to healing. Then, I don't think I can give any more specific answer because not knowing what it might have been that's caused the distaste or or lack of desire for sex. And it could be that some counseling could poke up out of the background what it was and then heal that or change that. And probably if you've got a loving spouse who hears about this, they can be patient and say, well, is there anything I'm doing that is bringing to remembrance something that is worrying you or is there anything I can do differently that will make this event more pleasant for you? That would be the best I could do there. Without knowing more particularly what sorts of distaste there is or what sorts of reasons there are, I suppose some good uh counseling might help. Now, the question uh, we want to talk about the rest of the time is, what is sanctified sex after or, better, in marriage? And uh, I had I four questions that i only answered one of, but I think we could talk about all of them. The four questions were, how often should you have sexual relations? Are there moral limits to what is allowed? Is the use of pornographic stimulation wrong? And what are the keys to happy and fulfilling sexual relations in marriage? And I'm going to start with the last one, because probably the other three will be answered along the way. And I wrote down 13 13, uh, things that came to my mind that make for a happy and fulfilling sexual relation in marriage. And these will not take the whole time, so I I hope there'll be time for lots of questions, and I want Noelle to be a part of this, and I want you to feel free to ask questions to either of us as a 12-year married couple that might uh, help you in the future. There's no very good order of these, I don't think, so I'll just start with one here. A happy and fulfilling relationship to Jesus Christ for both individuals is, I think, essential. And by a happy and fulfilling relationship to Christ, I mean the, the joy, the peace, and the righteousness that come from knowing, loving, and trusting him. Where this first allegiance is askew or absent, everything will be askew. Remember, sex is for believers, especially. So, I just can't overemphasize how my life with Noel hangs on our life with Christ. We live with Christ first. We pray together with Christ first. What is between us and Jesus is number one, and she is very secondary to Jesus, and I am very secondary to Jesus, and that makes all the difference, to have that agreement. I do not know how couples make it where Jesus is not number one. In fact, I know many couples who are not making it, and I'm trying to bail out marriages at Bethlehem where they are not committed, and they know they're not committed, and they know that's the problem and they can't change, they say.
3: One of the the things that happens when you know that your husband is is committed to Jesus like that is that, or or for me, that means that I I can trust him completely to be faithful to our our marriage. In fact, I trust him so completely that the thought hardly ever enters my mind. It's just such an assumption and it's with with all the other kinds of daily things that come up that you have to work out, and disagreements you have, and the problems that that you need to work out, to not have that question niggling at the back of your mind makes such a steady place to build your marriage. That it, and I don't think I don't think that could be true if if that commitment to Jesus weren't there.
0: It just affects every dimension of your marriage, absolutely every dimension. It affects the way you discipline your kids, the way you earn your money, the way you write your checkbook, what you eat, where, where you go out, what you do with your leisure time, the way you keep house. It affects everything. If you don't have that common foundation, then you're always groping for some other foundation and not finding it and running into problems. Stop me any time that you want to ask a question about it. I'll just keep going if you don't stop. Second, in order to have a fulfilling sexual relationship, you must show respect to each other all the time. You'll notice I'm focusing on the wide circumference of marriage, not just on that hour spent in sexual relation, because, as you'll see in a minute, uh... Most of what goes into making that hour good it happens not during that hour. Respect shown to each other. I tell you, in, in, in these 12 years of marriage, the number of times, the number of hours that we have spent with other couples watching them put each other down is just disgusting. Christian couples who spend most of their conversation needling each other. And some have just... Got into a habit and don't even know they're doing it. They can do it with their eyes. They can put their partner down with their eyes. Snide little nitpicking. So seldom is to run into a couple in, your, in their own home or out together when they say kind things about each other. Upbuilding things. Remarks about the, each other's strengths instead of stupidities or weaknesses. And you want to kill a sex relationship? Just talk about all the stupid things your wife does or all the stupid things your husband does or what a nincompoop he was the other night or just wreck it. Uh, and that's going to wreck the whole marriage, but the sex will be one of the first things where you'll sense the inadequacy anymore. So respect. This is something we've really had to work at. I've had to work at a lot because it's so easy when people are different and all of you are different and will marry people different from you. When you're different, to perceive those differences as inferiorities or superiorities, and therefore tend to put her down, belittle her or him, the old nag works both ways. She's always on his back to pick up this or pick up that. Now, that'd be one problem if 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 uh, that's a state at home. But usually, what happens is she gets into such a habit that he's bad here, he's he's lazy there, he's in he's inadequate here. That when they go out, you
1: know, what the And, do,
0: and it just, it, here's this guy here getting the thumb like this, or he to her, and that's stupid. Things makes this joke. That's yeah, it's you. It's very often, very often done under the guise of humor. Number three. In order to have a happy and fulfilling sexual relation, you must show tenderness outside the bedroom. You must show tenderness outside the bedroom. The foreplay for good sex at 10 p.m. starts at 7 a.m. and goes on with word and touch all day. And I had to learn that after we got married, well after we got married. Um guys, you need to know this especially that um preparation of a woman for a, a, a happy and good sexual experience t- can take hours and can be very verbal. Um so that um if you plan oh this is Friday night, we're gonna have a great time together if you're married, say. So. You you better work at that all day Friday. Better work at it Thursday, too. But all day Friday, certain phone call during the day, a certain comment, certain way to kiss when you leave in the morning, a pat on the back of the head or a stroke in the morning when you leave. These little things will will work in her mind all day to get her ready. And if you come in there having been a crab all morning and come off like a a loafing animal at night and expect her to perform beautifully at 10, that is crazy. It isn't going to work. Foreplay is much more than a few minutes of touching in the right places. We men forget that the woman is very different in that regard.
1: Does that take... Sometimes the element of spontaneity out of it. I mean, can a woman be spontaneous? Well, with, 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 with <laughs> it seems spontaneous, but it's
3: because of having been prepared, or or e- either because of my own thinking, or because of uh, of his
1: thoughtfulness. Oh, so well, okay. Suppose you on on Monday you decide to go on Friday night to say a concert. And then it's generally assumed that when you go to the parents then you come back, you know, and Friday maybe at maybe your day of the week or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not married. I don't know if it works that way. Uh suppose suppose it happens that okay you're planning towards towards Friday, but then uh you come home Thursday night and, and all of a sudden, you know Dr. Piper feels like having sex Thursday night. Can it work? Are you, are you spontaneous
2: that you're flexible enough to go up there and you, without planning all day? I can answer I mean, that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all these he, saying
3: from from the man's side is don't just wait till the last minute and expect everything to be really good for both of you not, that not that that's the only time that you'll ever have a good experience together. Because I may have been feeling especially tender toward him during the day, not because of anything he's done, but because I was putting pictures in our photo album and I was remembering some happy times together. Or I read a story that made me think, think about things I like in our relationship. So it's not just him who prepares me for good experience, but... But he's smart to work at it too. But okay, he's not you... just <laughs> depend on me. To happen on those occasions.
1: But do you have to be prepared, always?
3: No. But I'm not going to be. I'm not. I will not be prepared at all if we've been unhappy with each other during the day. Nothing's going to happen at the last minute to turn me around. Or it would take a real something really, really dramatic to turn me around. I mean, like, like him
2: kneeling down and praying, my goodness. There, there's several
0: things involved here, we'll be talking more about it, though. Aren't you saying then that, um,
1: it's more, you, you wanna, as, as a guy, and, and, work more, tenderness in your lifestyle, instead of, instead of just, you know, like, you, you said planning, well, and it seems to conjure up the that while you're kind of scheming and like That's guess. a good, but really, yeah. really you're not. That's a real you're, good. You're work. trying to work more tenderness into your life. I think so. Than, than your that's yeah, real that's, good.
3: That's one of the things that, that I told him occasionally is that I I want more kissing and touching and arms around me, uh, just completely isolated from, from leading up to one to bed together.
0: That's one of the things I had to learn after I got married. That I like
3: to cuddle a lot mm. more than he does.
0: Quite, quite apart from calling it foreplay. Yeah. I called it foreplay at 7 a.m. in the morning. She wouldn't call it foreplay. Because, in fact, if she thought I were aiming at that, it would probably take away some of the pleasure of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think your point is really good. So,
1: you're not... In your head, you're not mentally thinking that it's foreplay. I might be. Under, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might be
0: on a given day. In other words... Yeah.
2: Because if you're, if you're
0: true. busy, you might have to pick a day of the week. There is only one... 1 hour this week where it can fit if you're a busy person. And and you want it to be good and therefore you know what it takes to make it good and you, so you may do it. If your schedule is not that flexible then I mean inflexible then you you may uh I mean, we are, I think we ought to do what Bo says work tenderness into our relationship so that there there could be a lot more spontaneity and we we'd be ready whenever the occasion presented itself. Yeah. Was there another hand? Tenderness outside the bedroom. The point being, readiness for beautiful sex is not made once you get into bed. It's made in a lifestyle. Fourth, don't always do it when you're tired. That's simple, um, and, and it needs to be said because we live in a culture, a night culture, where sex is associated usually at nighttime and and people work their heads off, and they're dead tired at night, maybe they do what you say, they go to a concert, concert's not over until 11, they go out to have coffee after they get home
2: at
0: 12.30, and then they expect to have great sex, and, and probably he has to get up to golf in the morning, and break at day, or something. Uh, so, I think flexibility as to time is really important, and... and uh Depending on how busy you are, planning, I think, becomes then essential. If you don't uh, plan that it's going to happen at 9, you probably won't have until 11. And your bedtime is 11, and boom, you're up an hour later than you should. You're dead tired when you get up in the morning. You're crabby all day the next day, and your relationship has been wrecked for a few days because you did it at the wrong time. So don't always do it when you're tired. Fifth. The man, especially, must be sensitive and gentle and slow, not like a Mack truck. He must know her pace. That was another thing I had to learn after we got married, since we didn't do this before we got married. Namely, that, uh, and this takes, this takes years of training. I think mean, it does for an average guy. Years of training to contain himself. It is not easy for a young married man to keep from having an orgasm while he waits for this unbelievably slow girl to get up to the point where she's going to have an orgasm. And uh, I tell all the couples that I'm counseling in premarital sex don't expect the perfect simultaneous orgasm for a long time. You may be lucky, but, uh, this is a, this is a, an art that will take you years to get down. Several years. You'll have a good time on the way, don't worry about it. But, uh, but if, if you go, if you have this ideal, you have this ideal of, you know, perfect simultaneity and climax, not for a long time, unless very different than Noel and, and me. And it's basically my problem. And I'm the one who has to take the responsibility to know her pace and pace myself so that I don't lose her. Because the main problem in that is if you, we'll come to this in a minute, if you want her to have the fullest possible experience, you can't blow it in two minutes because then you've got nothing left. You don't have an erection anymore. You can't bring her to fulfillment. So you've got to keep from having an orgasm for 20 Minutes, maybe. Not easy. A lot of self-control. A lot of training. And if you're a guy who just is in there for, you know, the immediate thrill, then you won't have that patient, you won't care, and and you'll have a very frustrated wife. And she might even know she's frustrated. She may not know that's not the way it's supposed to be. You try to,
1: in order to control that, you can sometimes dwell on other things. But does that take the intimacy out of it for her? If you have to think about maybe...
0: The checkbook. Or, or the checkbook. Add numbers. Or whatever. Count sheep. <laughs> she doesn't know it. <laughs> no, do I want <don't laughs> to know. You don't tell her. Obviously you don't tell
1: her. But I don't that. whisper
0: in her ear what I'm doing. Okay, but I'm asking yeah. you, do you do
1: that? Oh yeah. And that helps. It
0: helps. To, right.
1: To just keep occupied. Utterly block.
2: Uh,
0: uh, I use numbers a lot. I count at weird orders. I learned this, I learned this from her, uh, from her, uh, What's that ber- pre-birth thing we go to? Oh, yes, CEA, they teach you to breathe. Crazy rhythm, see? One, two, three, breathe. One, two, three, four, breathe. One, two, breathe. And the whole point of teaching a woman to breathe like that is she totally blocks out what's happening down here in this pain of contractions. I, I just adapted that for my own self, and I count. one, two, one, two, three. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, four, three. One, two, three, four, five. five. I don't have to do that much anymore. I did that more a few years ago. But, you see, the the man's mind, he he can control within ten seconds whether he has an orgasm by what he pictures with his mind. And therefore, he must exercise great control over what's happening in his head as, as he's trying to bring his wife along. And if the only way to save this for her is to think about numbers or the checkbook or the kids or something, do it for her sake. I don't like it. See, I don't wish I didn't have to do it because it it diminishes the value of it for me. But, man, to, to, to satisfy a wife, have a satisfied wife, is the most valuable thing in the world in this whole affair. Let's see now. Man must be six. Okay, that was five. Six. There must be candor and honesty. If the physical openness does not accompany mental and spiritual openness, it will not be completely, a completely satisfying act. Communication and, uh, perception of need are absolutely essential. Now, I'm thinking there in general terms, first of all. A marriage will be second rate in which secrets are kept from each other. Remember this nakedness idea? If you love one another, you want to be naked before each other. Naked mentally, naked bodily. But then we'll bring it in to the actual event of, of the sexual relation itself. You should talk about what pleases each other, ask each other, do you like when I do this? What do you like me to do most? A lot of couples, I think, are hesitant to ask, to talk about what they're doing. Noelle told me on the way up here, she likes it a lot when I ask her, because she doesn't feel as free to take the initiative to just outright state what is pleasing or not. So the talking in the actual event of sexual intercourse, of course, once you've man-married a certain number of years, there's not much else to to talk about if you said it, but it's good to now and then again say, is this still the way it was? Or is there anything else happening? Because changes do happen.
3: Yeah, this is what I'm going to say. It may not be as necessary as often as when you're just beginning to know each other. But I've, I've changed quite a lot it,
0: my way, of or, or the way like, over 12 years.. That's one of the main reasons for communication. Most couples feel they communicated very intimately in their engagement days, and they fail to realize they are both growing persons, changing a lot, and that communications is, is the way to, to keep tabs on that. Very honest, open talk. Seven, all grudges and animosities must be worked out well in advance. All grudges and animosities must be worked out well in advance of this sexual event. Now, of course, I think for the Christian, you don't even need to talk about sex. You you ought not hold grudges, period. But the sexual event is a kind of a barometer to see how you're doing and if you, hold, if you have grudges against each other because of the way you're keeping house or money you spend in a wrong way or something, and yet you try to go on just as if everything were normal into this event, a dimension of the sharing and the dimension of intimacy and dimension of trust will be missing. And when that's missing, then you're on your way to treating her as an object or treating him as an object just to get the physical thrill. And I don't think the event should ever be merely physical. It ought to always be personal. It ought to always be a statement made by the eyes as well as by the other parts of the body of trust and love and appreciation and so on. Eight, this is one of the most important ones of all. Each person should make it his or her goal to please the other person most. Each each of the two persons should make it his or her purpose in the event to please the other person most. That's, that's why you wait for her. Now, let's see. There's some different implications. Some implications of this we should try to spell out. One would be, for example, um... There, there will be many occasions of sexual intercourse in which one, let's say it's the woman, I don't think this is ever true of a man, uh, in which the woman will not have an orgasm. Um, okay. And she will know that at a certain point. I'm not up for it, too tired or whatever. And she ought then to communicate that so that he's free to set his own pace. And, and that will be very, very helpful to him. So she will please him by saying I'm I'm out of it basically as far as orgasm goes. I'm here for you now. And he will he will do his thing. He'll set his own pace. Another implication of this would be to raise the question how often should you have sexual relations? <sighs> Now, if each is trying to please the other person most, you run into a contradiction here. Because, uh, let's, since I think this is more average, let's say the woman in the relationship doesn't need it nor want it nearly as often as the man. Uh, Now, that's not always the case, guys. I, I, I have counseled couples in which the problem is exactly the reverse. She wants it a lot more than he'll give it. So, but I'm just going to use this as an illustration, uh, a situation in which the woman doesn't want it as much, because I think that's more common. Now, if if he's making it his goal to please her most, then he probably won't ever ask for it when she doesn't want it, right? Every three or four weeks. If she's making it her goal to please him most, then she'll be ready and eager to do it whenever he wants it. So, you got a contradiction. Who, who, how often are you going to do it? How are you going to figure that out? And I think the answer is going to be, um, I was asking no else, and now what can we say last night as we were talking about this? The conclusion I came up with was this, and I base it on First Corinthians 7, basically. The person who needs the sex less should give in most. The person who needs the sex less should be the one who gives in the most, in other words, uh, in, the, in the instance that I'm saying, where the woman doesn't need it every, every three or four weeks, and the guy might like it twice a week, she will be the one who bends the most. And maybe he does settle on once a week. He won't, he won't demand it necessarily every time. But if he has a wife who's trying to please him as much as she possibly can, he'll have it more than if he were just doing it whenever she wanted. They'll strike a kind of balance. Maybe some months she'll give a little more and some months he'll give a little more and there'll be a lot of loving dynamics that go into this. This is why, this is why allegiance to Jesus is so important. Because if you got the heart of Jesus, you're willing to, you're willing to be uncomfortable for the other person. That's the essence of love. To give to that other person when you don't necessarily bodily feel like it. And, and I think, uh, that's a problem in, in lots of marriages where there is a big discrepancy between felt need. In answer to the question, how often is good or right or appropriate, Martin Luther said he, could, he, he, he was satisfied with twice a week. He said that in one of his table talk discussions on how many children he had. Jonathan Edwards had 11 children. There's an interesting story about Jonathan Edwards' They uh I think eight of his children were born on Sunday. And uh they had the they had the old wives tale in those days that you were born on the day when you were conceived, and his people were very irate. That <laughs> <laughs>
2: What's
0: the pastor doing on Sunday afternoon? In fact, in some of the
3: congregational
2: churches
0: did not baptize the day we were on Sunday because it <laughs> I didn't know that. Ooh. That's devastating. <coughs> there is no there is no uh, rule of thumb about rightness or wrongness in matters of frequency i don't think that's wholly up to the inclination of the couple involved um, and i think it will vary it's going to vary with lots of different things it'll vary with stress greatly whether the husband and wife are under great stress because of work they're doing, or sickness at home, or financial problems. The more stress you're under, the less you'll feel like sex. It'll vary with leisure. You'll do it lots more on vacation than when the, the heavy st- burden of work is on. It's the same principle, probably, as I mentioned earlier. When, when you've got lots of leisure, your mind will roam around to those sorts of things more quickly. What else will it vary with? Anybody think of any? Weariness, though. Weariness that... If you're dead tired, you don't... There there have been rare times when Noel would have liked it and I said no. Because I was absolutely out of it.
2: <coughs>
0: Gone. Um, so weariness and other things. So... There are no, there are no rules about frequency. I think, uh, I asked them, well, are well, there any <laughs> statistics we could give them so that they'd know if they were in the ballpark? <laughs> uh, and I think once or twice a week is real, real normal for lots of people.
1: But, is it Mary?
0: Nobody webs, I've I heard, had ten more. Yeah,
2: well, <laughs> <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably true. <laughs> do <laughs> oh, you. you think that um uh,
3: the responsiveness
0: of your partner is gonna depend on like if you don't feel like it and he does, isn't gonna sort of take it out of him? Yeah. It's, it'll depend on with what attitude how she handles that. Uh if you've got a good wife uh, who loves you, she can, she can make it great for you when she doesn't want to do it. But if you have a wife who's a self-pitying little snob,
2: <laughs>
0: she'll probably let you know and make it quite miserable for you whenever she doesn't want to. That's why Jesus is all important, I think. But no, it need not take all the, all the joy out of it. In fact... There have been times when Noel, quite for me, has given herself to me, and the love manifest in that event has made me like her so much that it was extra good. You see what I mean? She was doing it so totally for me, and doing it with such grace that I just loved her all the more. Now she she could be resentful and let me see that and, know, in her. <laughs> as soon as she did that, I thought.
2: Yeah. You know. Wait till you're in. It. Uh, so it's the
0: way. It's her attitude and the way she handles herself.
1: Is there any general way of finding out? How do you know when you're you're too busy? Like, um, like say, if stress is, is a um, roadblock, how do you know when that stress is just part of denying yourself for Christ's sake and to the work of the gospel? And how do you
0: know when you're really damaging your marriage? Well, Noelle's my barometer for whether I'm damaging the marriage or not. She tells me you're damaging the marriage. <laughs> uh, and
3: we see it in other areas. It, it, I, don't, I don't sense it in, in our relationship and our sex life, but in all the other areas that are falling apart.
0: Yeah, we're. I don't know. Our our sex life is not the first thing to go. We we really have a good time there and and uh even when other dimension areas are are getting weaker that is one of the last things to go. That's not true with every couple, but just uh just what would be the things that would be what would be the first barometer that probably just touchiness and irritability
3: and no time to talk about it. are making
0: you yeah. yeah, we haven't been together. We haven't spent 15 minutes together in the last three weeks. What's the problem? Uh, I'm seeing you. Where have you been all this time? And, that, and then you start getting crabby and, and uh, making statements about each other, and they start getting louder at the kids, and it just starts to show itself real quickly. You, you can tell when the marriage is going well, and people feel happy and fulfilled. Things are clicking right, and when that isn't happening then you need to stand back and say, now, what has gotten out of control here? And for us, generally, it's... My I, my time has gotten out of control. I haven't spent enough time at home or with Noel, And then we have to back off and uh, work at that. Um,
1: so you're saying it's God's will for that to go on for a certain period of time, and then he indicates the to you that you better now stop or you realize that you've gotten too busy
0: to, to begin with and you have three of that? I didn't see the difference between those two. They both sounded...
3: It takes a little time, but when there's too much going on, it takes a little time for it to back up enough to, to show itself.
0: Yeah. If a marriage is a good marriage, it's got a buffer, it's got a resiliency that will take a good bit of battering, schedule battering. But no marriage is, is so strong that schedule battering will can go on forever. Not spending time together can last. Uh, so, there, yeah, there's that period of time in there in which there, the deterioration is undetectable. And then all of a sudden it comes out in certain things and you realize that you've set up some bad patterns for a few weeks.
3: The marriage
0: should always get a priority. Something in the schedule has to go. After. Yes, something in the schedule has to go. That's right. I think the marriage... A minister ought to minister to his family as much as to everybody
2: else. If he forsakes the the needs of his own family, he's not.